0: Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from Platt Woods United Methodist Church. We are a community seeking to lead people to follow Jesus. If you would like information on weekly service times or ways to connect, please visit platwoodschurch.org. We're starting a new sermon series today. It's called making all things new. And today we're going to talk about covenant, the new covenant that God established in and through Jesus. And and it's a covenant that uh, just kind of, uh, it's the fulfillment of the covenant that God began with Abraham. It's the utter fulfillment, and it has to do with love. It's a covenant of love. So I want to read a passage from the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to read from the 22nd chapter. I'll read verses 34 through 40, and this may sound familiar to many of you, but I, I pray that you hear this with new ears today. as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Amen. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we praise you for your word. We praise you, God, uh, for how you speak to us through your word. I pray, God, you speak to us here today, that you would do a new thing within us and in our midst. This we pray in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. 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 You know, as Matt was talking about earlier, and, and this is something I've been thinking about all week. You know, last week, if you can remember that far back, uh, last week we celebrated Easter, right? And, you know, I, I was just kind of convicted by the reality that, you know, Monday morning we were here at the church diving right back into those things that we had put off for a week because, you know, Easter got in the way, right? You know, we, we spend so much time preparing to celebrate Holy Week and Easter. Everything else gets put on hold, and then we stuff it all in the following week, and we jump right back into that, and it seems like Easter is just gone, it's just in the rearview mirror, right? Well, the reality is, is that we dwell in Easter, that really all time is Easter time, That we are resurrection people, that Jesus is forever risen from the grave. And we celebrate that every time we gather together. And we live as resurrection people out in this world. That's the nature of what God is doing in our midst. In Jesus, we can experience fully freedom from sin and death. And fully participate in this new thing that God has done and is continuing to do. As we continue celebrating Easter, as we continue celebrating resurrection during this season, we also celebrate this new thing that God is doing in and through Jesus. This sermon series is called Making All Things New. Um, And you know, there could be nothing perfect for this Easter season than to talk about the new things that God is doing. That God has done something new, something completely new, in and through Jesus. And we get to participate in that. And really, making all things new, that's, that's God's business. That's what God's all about. It's about restoring all things, all creation to their original glory, making them new. Throughout this series, we're gonna dig deeper into just how everything has been made new in Jesus. And, and talk about what that means for us today. Um, And as I said, today we're going to talk about the new covenant. Now covenant is kind of a, it's a very specific word. um, And there's really no other word we can replace it with. Um, But our Bibles, you know, just to give you a a little little insight into it, our Bibles are comprised of two testaments. We call it Old and New Testament, right? The word testament is really just another way of saying covenant. We have the Old Covenant, we have the New Covenant. Jesus inaugurated this new covenant. Everything changed when Jesus entered into our midst. Through his life, his death, and resurrection, everything changed and inaugurated this new covenant. But to really understand the new covenant, we have to dig a little bit into the old covenant. Now, when I, when I think about covenant, my mind immediately goes to my grandparents' house. Growing up, I used to spend a lot of time At my grandparents' house, and my grandparents in their den, you know, you know, people used to call. They used to have a separate room. They called their den. You know, does anybody have a den today? I don't know, but yeah, some people still have dens. But my grandparents in their den, they they had a card table set up 24/7, 365, and on this card table was always a puzzle. They always had a puzzle going, and my grandparents were master puzzlers especially my grandmother, I was in awe of how amazing my grandmother was at doing puzzles. But I learned everything I know about doing a puzzle from my grandparents, and you know, when, when you learn how to assemble a puzzle, what's the very first thing you learn? What's the very first thing you do? The borders, right, the edges. The very first thing you do. That's what covenant is. Covenant provides the borders. It provides the framework for how we understand what God is doing. What God is doing in this world, what God is doing in and through his people. Covenant provides the framework for how we understand scripture itself. It frames everything. But covenant is the way God chose to enter into relationship with his people. And to bring about his plan of restoration After the fall of Adam and Eve, covenant is all about relationship. And this covenant, you know, as we dig into the Old Testament, this covenant really starts to take off, really gets rooted in in the person of Abraham. You know, God chose Abraham to work his redemption, uh, that God would bring his redemption in and through Abraham's descendants that God would be their God and they would be God's people. And in Abraham, God's people were given back their identity as God's people. And they were given back a place where they, they lost Eden. They lost their identity as God's children. But, but God establishes that identity and that place again in Abraham, at least in part. But as we move forward through Scripture, covenant develops and it, and it expands particularly with the person of Moses. And whereas with Abraham, it was all about God creating this family, you know, Abraham and all of his descendants. With Moses, that's expanded, it's extended to an entire nation. God's grace widening. And with Moses, we have that identity and that place that that they are God's people and they, they are headed to the promised land. But with Moses, we also have the presence of God reestablished. We read about the tabernacle and how God's presence was in the Holy of Holies in that tabernacle that God chose to, to be present with his people on earth, at least in part. But Moses is also the one to whom God gave the law. We have the story of Moses going up on Mount Sinai and receiving the law and coming down and presenting it to the people and, it, you know, we have these Ten Commandments, right, that we all know. And those Ten Commandments, they expanded through, through the history of the, the Israelite history, expanded to 613 laws. 613 laws that all of God's people were to follow and keep. 613 commandments. And these 613 commandments were all the do's and the don'ts. They were given to provide a pram- framework for, for how God's people were to live. But as we read Scripture, we, all, we understand and we know that throughout their history, the Israelites, they struggled incredibly with keeping these commandments, with keeping the law. You see, the law had become legalistic. Over time, it became legalistic, and, and they essentially made the law simply a checklist, a checklist of, of things to do. That they, they followed the letter of the law and simply checked off everything they did as they did them. But in that, they missed the spirit of the law. They missed what God truly intended for his people. And so the law became something other than what it was intended. We fast forward to the first century, and we we find Jesus in the midst of this culture, um, this Jewish culture. You had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, and the, the Pharisees in particular. You know they believed that if all of God's people, if all the Jews kept all six hundred and thirteen laws perfectly for a day, the Messiah would come, would establish his kingdom on earth, would be their king, and they would have. Everything restored, their identity, the, their, their land, and the presence of God. The Pharisees, see, they kept the law, but they missed the spirit of the law. The Pharisees were the most holy of all the Jews, they kept the law perfectly. But they miss, miss the spirit of the law, and that's why Jesus says that they are, they are like cups where, that are washed on the outside, but the inside is filthy. Or he calls them whitewashed tombs, that outside they look good and they do all the right things, but inside they're just full of rot and death. So what is God to do? When God has given his people every chance to know him, to follow him, to be faithful, what is God to do? God has made himself present. God has given them the law, but they still fail. They still miss the point. So what God does is is he finally speaks to his people. He gives his people a word, and that word is Jesus. You see, in Jesus, God made himself fully known, In Jesus, God did something brand new. In revealing Himself in Jesus, God made made known His true intentions for all of creation and established a new covenant. You know, this passage in Matthew 22, we we learn the true nature of this new covenant. Uh, But it it comes by way of, of Matthew's intent with the writing of this gospel. And we learn Matthew's intent in, the go- in his gospel by, by reading the very first verse of the very first chapter. Matthew says, says that he is writing to reveal Jesus the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. We fast forward to chapter 22. And in chapter 22, we encounter these interactions between Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And in that, we encounter four questions. Four questions that are posed that really intended to trap Jesus. But Jesus' answer to these questions reveals who he is. That he is the Messiah, the son of David, son of Abraham. But it starts off with a question about the Jews' relationship to the empire. How should they interact with the empire? You know, it had to do with a question about taxes. And Jesus' answer was, just out of bounds for them, just shocked them. The second question had to do with the nature of resurrection. You had the Sadducees that were questioning Jesus about the resurrection, which is obviously a trap because the Sadducees, they didn't even believe in resurrection. They tried to trap him in that to expose him. But the answer Jesus gave shocked them and silenced them. We skip one, we go to the last question that Jesus at, is asked. But it really comes by, by way of Jesus turning everything on its head that, that Jesus turns the question back on the Pharisees. Whose son is the Messiah? And he asks this by way of a rebuke because he knew what they would answer. And in this he reveals his true nature as the Messiah. But sandwiched in between this, this, uh, thir- this second and fourth question is this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees that I just read. But in this interaction, there's an expert of the law, uh, a Pharisee, who, who asked Jesus which commandment of the law was the greatest. And this was intended to trap Jesus because the Jews, the Pharisees, all the teachers of the law, they believed every single one of the, the commandments, all 613 commandments were of equal value, of equal weight, because they were divine commandments, it was a divine law. So they were seeking to trap Jesus. Because were Jesus to say that one or any other was, was greater than another, then that would mean he was going against God. But Jesus, in, in perfect Jesus style gives them an answer they weren't expecting. He answers them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You know, when I read that, I mean, that shakes me up a little bit. It certainly shook up the Pharisees. They didn't expect that. It turned their whole world upside down, everything they had known. And in that, Jesus had just revealed the true nature of of God's original intent. But I think it's interesting what Jesus says. Love the Lord your God, your God. Love the Lord your God. He is your God. He doesn't say love, love this impersonal God who sits in, on a throne up in the sky somewhere. Love the Lord, your God. This is a personal God who first loved you. And love that God with all your heart and soul and mind, every capacity, every faculty that you have. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor As yourself. See, all 613 commandments of the law had been distilled to just two love God with everything you are and have, and love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets, all the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and everything else that came after, all of that is wrapped up in these two commandments and hang from these two commandments. What Jesus is saying is that the law is not the end. The law is not the goal. As the Pharisees and other Jewish elites had made it, the law is not the purpose of living. The purpose of living is the love of God and the love of others. You know, I think about that. I think about so many people that I encounter who are searching for meaning, searching for purpose. They don't know where to find it. Here it is. It's found in God, by loving God, and loving other people. It's that simple. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. But I think about how familiar these words sound to us. Um, for many of us, they're very familiar. But when we truly grasp what Jesus is saying, these words are, are just as unsettling for us as they were 2,000 years ago. Because I think the reality is that we often do what the Pharisees did then, right? We want things to be easy. We want things to make sense. You know, if we're, if we're right-brained, did I, did I get that right? We, we want everything to be in a list, to make sense, that we can check it off. We want the list of do's and don'ts that we can easily, and with a sense of accomplishment, check off and so we tend to create our own laws we don't think about it in that in those terms often we tend to create our own laws and I think you know what I'm talking about right wait I go to church check I attend a class or a group check I I give occasionally check I read my bible sometimes I pray uh, on occasion check I I don't cuss, check, right? Or I listen only to Christian music, check, right? I refrain from alcohol, check, right? These are these checklists that many of us grew up with. And we check all these things off and, and boom, you know, we've arrived. We're a Christian. But the reality is that all of these, either consciously or unconsciously, They tend to become our purpose in life. They tend to become the end. I do these things and I'm a Christian. Or I don't do these things and I become a Christian. But these things also, they tend to distract us from what our real purpose in life is to be. And our purpose is to love God and to love other people. So in in Christ, having done this new thing, We are free to set aside the lists, to set aside the do's and the don'ts, to set aside the laws that we create for ourselves, because Jesus has done and is doing something new. But I also think there's another roadblock when it comes to fully living into these commandments that Jesus gives us, and I think it has to do with our cultural understanding of love, you know, I—I'll be honest. I think our cultural understanding of love is wrong. Uh, at the best, at best, it's just a mere shadow of what God intends when when He says love. But in our culture today, love is either purely intellectual, right? It's just an idea, or more likely is nothing but just sentimental emotion. But all we need to do is look at Jesus. Look at Jesus' life to really understand what he's talking about when he says, love God, love other people. We learn from Jesus that love is not sentimentality. It isn't just a feeling. Instead, it's an action. Love is an action. It's a verb. We love as God first loved us. You know, The the primary picture of love that we have is Jesus on the cross and ultimately raising from the grave. That was an action. The act of dying on the cross, the act of raising from the dead. This is how God's love is poured out upon us. Love is an action. Jesus on the cross is is not a feeling, it's not a, a sentimental emotion, it's an action. So to love God actively and intentionally, we are called to love with our whole being. Everything we are and have. What Matthew says is heart, soul, mind. When he talks about heart, that included body, mind, it included kind of, they called it the, the center. Heart was the center, that's kind of how we think of it too. But we love God, seeking to grow in our knowledge of God with our mind and our intellect, we, we love God by caring for our bodies, by what we consume, by how we exercise, all of these things, so that we may, used, may, be, may be used by God more effectively. We love God with our soul, by attending to what we call the means of grace, those spiritual disciplines, those, those things God has given us in order to encounter him and grow in our knowledge and love of him. But all of these are just means, means to the end of living into our God-given purpose, to love Him. But then there's a second commandment that goes with it. It's really just the other side of the same coin. The second command flows naturally from the first, and it's just as important. Jesus said the second is like it. It's to love our neighbors as ourselves. You know, when I think about how we often talk about loving other people. We often talk about it in the abstract, that I just have this feeling in my heart of, of love towards other people, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. It's very particular in Christ. He's talking about loving our neighbors, not just loving other people in the abstract, but loving the person that sits beside us, loving the person that, that we encounter in the grocery store, loving the person who, who is at the cashier register at, at the coffee shop, loving that co-worker we sit beside that we really don't like, loving the person sitting beside you right now, behind you, in front of you. I think the best place to start to really learn how to love in that way is by loving our actual physical neighbors. I don't know how many of you know your neighbors. I hope you do. I hope you have a relationship with your neighbor. But the reality is most of us, you know, we, we jump in our vehicle, we back out of the garage, we go to work, put in our work day, we drive back into the garage, close the door, and go about our night and do it all again the next day. We have no interaction with our actual physical neighbors. What better place to start? in growing in our love of God and love of others. But the reality is when we talk about love of God and love of others these two commands they cannot be separated. Love entails the spiritual but it entails the social as well. And the power and direction of the second command to love other people it comes from the first to love God. And the second is both a test and a vehicle of the first. In other words, to love God, we should be loving our neighbors. And to love our neighbors is to love God. This is the new thing that God wants to do in us and through us. To love the God who loves you and cherish the people around you. And I don't know about you, if you've experienced this, if you live this, this is so liberating. We aren't hampered by the laws that we create for ourselves, by the legalism that we create for ourselves. It's so incredibly liberating and it's so incredibly simple. I say simple, but I don't mean easy. The reality is that we carry around so much unnecessary guilt because there are so many things that we are told that we should do and told by the church. Told by the world, told by our own conscience. But Jesus simply invites us to attend to these two simple commands with all we are and to see where they take us each day. And I think with that, he's inviting us simply to relax, just chill out, love God, love other people. Because it's in these two commands that we find true purpose and meaning in life. You know, as I've talked about, and you know, there have been some of us who have been praying in this direction for quite some time. Um, but I believe God wants to do a new thing in each one of our lives. I believe God wants to do a new thing in our collective midst. I believe God wants to use us in this world. He wants to, to witness to the world around us of his love and his mercy and his grace. God wants to use us in that. But I think we discover what this new thing really is by being in right relationship with God and with each other. And when, we are, we, and when we're in right relationship, We have a love for God with our whole being, our heart, soul, mind. And we're loving our neighbors as ourselves. It's that simple. It's that simple. But as I said, it's not easy. And that's why we need this group. We need these people. We need the people sitting to your right and to your left in front of you, behind. We need these people to help us in that. Because our, our, like our, our hearts just automatically go to turning in on themselves. You know, in our broken, fallen, sinful natures, we are very selfish. I am very selfish. I admit that. I confess that. I need you to help me in this. You need me. We need each other to help in this. To live fully into the purpose that God intends for us. To love God and to love others. But we become easily distracted as well. Distracted by life, distracted by ourselves, distracted by the, the laws and, that we make for ourselves, the legalism that we create for ourselves. So I tend to do, do something when I uh, get distracted that is very simple. Um, it's, it seems kind of silly, but I, I want to invite you to try it with me. Um, you know, I need a constant reminder, a constant reminder when, when I think about how I am to live. You know, I get distracted. I need to be reminded by something, and it needs to be something that's visible, something that's tangible for me. So what I do is I write on my hand. I literally write on my hand with a Sharpie, uh, whatever it is. And for me here now, it's to love God and to love others. I, I literally have that on my hand. But whatever that is for you, whether it's a post-it note in your car, on your mirror, whether it's a rubber band around your wrist, whether it's a string around your finger, I don't, whatever that is for you, I encourage you to try that this week and see what God does. To be intentional, to have that in front of your face every single day of the week. And to be reminded to live fully into this This purpose that God has for us, I encourage you to try that. See what God does. See the new thing that God does in our midst, with us, and in us. Love God. Love your neighbor. And expect God to do something new. Amen? Let's pray. Holy God, we're so grateful for the new things you have done, the new things you continue to do. That God, you are continually new. You are forever young and and you are forever at work. And so I God, I, I pray that you would prepare our hearts. That you would ready our hearts for your harvest. That our hearts would be fertile ground for you to just nurture and grow that love within us. But God, we seek to be about your work in this world knowing that our purpose, our meaning, is to love you fully and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly sermons. If you would like to follow up with daily scripture and questions from our pastors, check out platwichchurch.org devotional.